are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Hi there, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Clear Creek County News. My name is Megan Heiler. First off, we're going to start with an article here from The Mountaineer. This is uh, titled CCEDC Hosts Inaugural Rural Resiliency Mixer, and it's by Mindy Leary. The inaugural Rural Resiliency Mixer, hosted by the Clear Creek Economic Development Corporation, saw a gathering of local Clear Creek and Gilpin County business owners, officials, and community members at the Club Hotel in Idaho Springs on February 8th. President Lindsay Valdez took the stage to address attendees, highlighting the organization's commitment to fostering economic growth and stability in Clear Creek and Gilpin counties. Valdez announced that CCEDC currently has a $1.6 million available for lending, emphasizing the importance of supporting small businesses in the region. The event provided a platform for networking and collaboration among local entrepreneurs with Jonah and Lana Hearn, owners of the Club Hotel, sharing their journey of revitalizing the historic building. Valdez expressed her gratitude for their contribution for the event. Guests were treated to insights from Greg Totten, an an economist, rather, from the State of Colorado Demography Office, who shed light on key demographic trends relevant to economic development. Totten's presentation sparked discussions on workforce diversification and community engagement. He shared several demographics concerning population and job growth in the state. In some ways, demography is a simple job because people only do three things. They're born, they die, and they move, he quipped. During the lecture-style event, attendees were given agendas, presenter bios, and index cards with which to submit uh, any questions after the presentation. Kelly Flanagan, board chair of CCEDC, prompted the audience to think about the the diversification of the workforce and the purpose of economic development. Flanagan encouraged attendees to consider the role development in building resilient communities. Valdez thanked Henderson Mind for sponsoring the event and said that they would like to have the event recur annually. Another useful data point included the fact that molybdenum mining contributes 26% to the GDP of Clear Creek, and the employment has recovered in Gilpin County since the pandemic. Flanagan pointed out that the CCEDC has contracted with Colorado Mesa University to do an annual economic newsletter every March. The event also saw participation from Gilpin County Manager Ray Rears, who highlighted the success of local initiatives and introduced Ryan England to discuss opportunities for future growth. England spoke highly of the Rollinsville Business District, which is thriving and became quite popular. Despite its popularity, England pointed out that there is not much local organization. 24 people showed up at the meeting. They're changing the community themselves. They're anxious to work together, but it's all their own money. They started to realize that they need to put together an organization to make Rollinsville a true destination, England said. He continued to mention some creative ideas like adding a stop sign, a roundabout, or traffic light on Highway 119 at Rollinsville. He also brought up the possibilities of sidewalks to increase foot traffic. His remarks underscored the importance of strategic planning in driving economic vitality. Following the presentations, attendees were invited to continue networking at a nearby restaurant, further fostering connections and collaboration. The Clear Creek Economic Development Corporation is a nonprofit organization that was established in 1984 to provide economic development services to Clear Creek and its municipalities. 
In addition, CCEDC administers a business loan fund program in Clear Creek and Gilpin counties, which is Region 3. Their mission is to catalyze a diverse and thriving business community that expands and stabilizes the workforce and tax base and supports partnerships with passionate placemakers. At the Rural Resiliency Mixer, the CCEDC reiterated its commitment to community engagement, inviting individuals from all backgrounds to contribute to economic development efforts. It marked a significant step in fostering collaboration and driving economic growth in Clear Creek and Gilpin counties, underscoring the importance of community-led initiatives in shaping the future. For those that are looking to connect further with CCEDC or to learn more about their initiatives, the organization can be reached at 303 710 9218 or visited at 1443 Colorado Boulevard, Suite B, Idaho Springs. All right, next article here is from the Clear Creek Current. This is by Chris Cobral and it's titled, What a Blast! Clear Creek Current Invited to Witness Controlled Explosion Along I 70. At 12.55 p.m. on February 7th, a Colorado Department of Transportation worker outfitted in a white hard hat and bright yellow vest held the air horn to the sky and sounded three short but piercing blasts. This was the third and final warning for the explosion to come just west of exit 247 for Beaver Brook and eastbound Floyd Hill. A single thin yellow cord stretched out from the control box in the back of a pickup truck several hundred yards up I-70 where the hundreds of pounds of explosives were placed. It's very engineered so that it breaks the rock in certain methods so we don't have to overbreak. Then they'll go in and excavate it out and continue to build our walls over that will hold back the mountain from eastbound I-70, project leader Kurt Kianka said. Both east and westbound lanes of traffic on I-70 had been shut down to the traffic minutes before in preparation for the blast. Standing in the middle of the typically fast-moving and congested interstate with more than a dozen highway workers all in yellow vests and hard hats prompted an ominous feeling of what was to come. You could hear the silence. The man with his finger on the electronic fuse was Master Blaster Bob McConney. With more than 48 years of blasting, McConney is who you would want on your team for something like this. He said he started working with explosives when he was just 19 years old. He explained the art and the science of these types of blasts in simple terms. Put holes in the rock, put some powder in it, and get everybody off the road and blow it up, he said. At exactly 1 p.m., the time that CDOT scheduled the blast and sent text messages to subscribers who text Floyd Hill, all lowercase, to 21000, several chase cars confirmed I-70 was indeed cleared in both directions. Several more loud intermediate sound blasts pierced the silence, followed by one sustained audio blast. Fire in the hole, McConney shouted. Massive 5,000-pound blast blankets made of used tire treads strung together were placed over the explosive area to help prevent debris from flying across the interstate. They visibly heaved over the blast site, followed by the sound of 400 pounds of explosives detonating. Cheers erupted from the dozen CDOT workers who recorded the blast on their own cell phones. However, not surprisingly, McConney took the blast in stride. This is nothing compared to the regular blast, he said. McConney said that he came out of retirement to work on this project and hundreds, if not thousands, of blasts that will be required to reshape I-70 at Floyd Hill for decades to come. Again, McConney put at what would consider a unique and exciting job into context. It gets old after a while, the mud, the snow, the slop, and everything else, he said, laughing. I-70 then reopened to traffic. The entire process shut down the interstate for about 15 minutes. Sticking with I-70 and the Clear Creek Current and Chris Cobral, this uh, article is titled Rock Blasting and Scaling to Ramp Up on I-70 Near Idaho Springs This Spring and Summer. All right. 
Project designers say that the integral structure of the I-70 project, adding another lane and smoothing out sharp curves by elevating the westbound section, is designed to last 100 years. However, that means delays for locals and tourists in Idaho Springs in the next few years to come. Drivers should anticipate at least 20-minute delays several times a day in late spring and through the midsummer of this year as the Colorado Department of Transportation starts work on the area of I-70 from exit 243 to the east and exit 241 in central Idaho Springs, according to CDOT. These holds should occur between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Monday through Thursday, generally once a day for blasting, but up to six times a day for the rock scaling when CDOT crews knock loose rock from the mountain to protect workers and motorists, according to project leader Kurt Kianka. The intent of this project is to alleviate the bottleneck as I-70 goes from three lanes to two lanes near Veterans Tunnels. Really, the safety features of flattening the curves, bringing the design speed up, adding standard shoulders, Kianka said. It's not just drivers who will be forced to stop for the blasting scaling operations. Spring and summer rafters on Clear Creek will be forced to halt downstream travel for these operations. CDOT spokesperson Seisha Sellers said CDOT is working with rafting companies to coordinate times and locations of the halts to minimize impacts. Work on I-70 bridges over Clear Creek is also scheduled for midsummer. Ultimately, all of them will, re- will be replaced, Kianka said. Motorists can stay in the know on when blasting activities are planned by signing up for CDOT text alerts. Again, that's by texting all lowercase Floyd Hill, one word, to 21000. A major milestone for CDOT was achieved on February 12th as Idaho Springs City Council members signed off on the 1041 approval in the project at its regular meeting. The 1041 powers allow local governments to identify and designate and regulate areas and activities of state interest through local permitting processes, according to the Colorado Department of Local Affairs. The general intention of these powers is to allow local governments to maintain their control over particular development projects, even when the project has statewide impacts in the CDLA language. Clear Creek County commissioners signed off on the 1041 earlier in February. The process allows jurisdictions to have the opportunity to ask questions and raise concerns when a project operated by the state enters and affects local communities, Kianka said. Kianka spent more than an hour during the commission meeting explaining and defending every aspect of the I-70 project as construction plans to call for major changes to the existing highway through Idaho Springs. According to CDOT, the ultimate goal of the project is multilateral and multifold. The I-70 Floyd Hill project will add a third westbound I-70 travel lane in the two-lane bottleneck. This new lane will be a full-time tolled express lane from just west of Homestead Road, exit 247, through the Veterans Memorial Tunnels to Colorado Boulevard, Idaho Springs, exit 241. Rebuild bridges damaged by use, wear and tear, and heavy usage. Construct a missing two-mile section of the frontage road between U.S. 6 and the Hidden Valley Central City Parkway interchanges, which will improve emergency response. Build an extended on-ramp from U.S. 6 onto eastbound I-70 for slow-moving vehicles to have more room to merge. Improve traffic flow and access at interchanges and intersections. Improve slight distance and safety by straightening roadway curves. Improve the Clear Creek Greenway Trail and implement environmental mitigation to enhance wildlife connectivity, air and water quality, stream conditions, and recreation.
Since the I-70 project started in July of 23, CDOT has measured the progress in tons. Rock excavation and scaling removed 18,000 tons of rock from eastbound I-70 to widen the highway for an additional lane. Crews installed the equivalent of nine football fields of drainage pipe, of drainage pipe rather, and built retaining walls enforced with 20,000 square feet of shot creek, which is sprayed concrete. A virtual tour of the envisioned and complete I-70 project is available on CDOT's YouTube channel. All right, this next article is an opinion column, actually by me, um, for the Clear Creek Current. Um, this is titled, Just So We're Clear, A Planning Project for Dumont, Lawson, and Downeyville. Um, I contribute some of these columns to keep people informed. Um, so here we go. Clear Creek County is investing in planning for Dumont, Lawson, Downeyville community. In late 2022, the county was awarded funding by Henderson Mines Social Impact Program to conduct an $80,000 planning project to develop a community-informed vision for the DLD region of the county in the form of a sub-area or neighborhood plan. A sub-area plan is a type of long-range guiding document that is prepared for a limited geographical area within the community and addresses both short-term and long-term needs. As Clear Creek County residents know, the DLD community lies just east of the junction of US-40 and I-70, almost exactly halfway between Idaho Springs and Georgetown. It is centrally located and includes historic homes and new builds, mobile home parks and mountain neighborhoods, commercial businesses and cottage industries. As a census district, it has about the same number of people as Empire and Silver Plume combined. This is a very exciting project that has the opportunity to really be- benefit the DLD community. Clear Creek Strategic and Community Planning Director Amy Saxton said, As a resident of that area myself, I truly care about the community and look forward to working with other community members and hearing what they have to say. This is where you come in. Clear Creek County will include the community in a few different ways, such as seeking a broad community input. This will happen via the Clear Creek County Forum using quick polls and longer surveys. The county will also use tables to solicit engagement from community places like the Dumont Post Office, along with holding public meetings. You can also participate as a community member. This means reading emails and published materials, responding to surveys and additional polls that the project might create, and attending one or two public meetings the project provides and share information and gather input. Additionally, Clear Creek County is assembling a core group of community members. This group will ideally be a subject matter experts and stakeholders with a variety of different perspectives who want to lead and contribute time and leadership by being a part of the DLD steering committee. This group will meet more frequently and will staff the consultant team that will rely on this group for project expertise and frequent input. The steering committee will also be asked to do everything a community member does, but will also be asked to provide more opinions and attend three to six meetings or more and asked to participate on a deeper level. Steering committee members also have the opportunity to help advocate for the project and explain it within the community. Clear Creek County will also seek ongoing input from the Board of County Commissioners. The board will be updated regularly on this project and are a key stakeholder. The planning project will take place over most of 2024. The first public meeting will be from 6 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, April 2nd. For more information or to get involved, visit forum.clearcreekcounty.us. All right, this next article is from Fox 31, and it's titled Jefferson County to Take Over Clear Creek Dispatching and 911 Calls. Jefferson County's emergency call center and dispatchers will soon be covering Clear Creek County according to the jurisdictions. The agreement was announced in November of 2023 and billed as a cost-cutting measure by the Clear Creek County commissioners. The transition took place on Wednesday. 
The Jefferson County Communications Center Authority, known as JeffCom 911, will serve as the public safety answering point for Clear Creek County's 911 calls. It will dispatch for the county sheriff's office, emergency medical services, and fire authority, along with Empire, Georgetown, and Idaho Springs Police Departments. JeffCom 911 currently dispatches 24 other law and fire agencies, according to the agency, after a 2018 consolidation of eight 911 centers previously in Jefferson County. 911 consolidation to save Clear Creek County money. According to the Clear Creek County Board of County Commissioners, the dispatch center has cost the county $1.7 million each year, and the switch to Jefferson County will cost only $850,000 rather annually. Clear Creek also stated that all dispatchers previously working for the county will be hired by Jeffcom 911, and the location from where emergency responders will be heading to incidents has not changed. Don Lombardi, Jeffcom Board of Directors, President, and West Metro Fire Rescue Chief, said the communications center team has surpassed every expectation for the consolidation. Jeffcom is strategically situated with the right people and the right technology to support Clear Creek County, and we welcome them at a top-notch agency, Lombardi said in a November news release. In total, Jeffcom will dispatch for 30 agencies over a two-county region. We are confident that we will be able to provide a very high level of service for the residents of Clear Creek County, Jeffcom Executive Director Jeff Streeter said in the agency's November release. We're all stakeholders in public safety and with the responsibility to serve our citizens, and that doesn't stop at the county border. According to Jeffcom 911, the agency received approximately 240,000 calls from 911 in 2022 and was on track to outpace that number in 2023. According to the second quarter 2023 report, Jeffcom 911 received an average of 1,576 incoming calls each day between April and June 2023. Jeffcom 911 reported it is one of the few emergency communication centers in the region that achieved national standards for answering 90% of emergency calls within the first 15 seconds, a National Emergency Number Association standard. All right, this next article is also from Fox 31, and it is titled, This Colorado Lake Turns Into a Racetrack Once It Freezes. This is by Maddie Rhodes. Right off Interstate 70 lies Georgetown Lake, which you see on your left when heading into the mountains. Take exit 228 and you'll find a quaint area commonly used for ice fishing, except for five weekends out of the year when Coloradans turn the sheet of ice into a racetrack. It's called ice racing and you can join in too. All you need is a valid driver's license and a vehicle with four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. The origins of the racing group coined Our Gang Four Wheelers, also known as Our Gang Ice Racing, dates back to 1965 when a group of guys decided to try and drive on the frozen pond above Central City, according to their website. When one of them put chains on the tires, it started the group's winter tradition. Throughout the years and many changes to the group's name, races took place all across Colorado. From Crystal Lake to St. Mary's Glacier to Twin Lakes, the group continued to expand its newfound sport until our gang four-wheelers was formed in 1977. Now, 48 years later, the races take place every year on Georgetown Lake. There are 78 regular season races, four championship events, and a kids race, and two fun days during five weekends in the winter. However, a lot more goes into racing than just driving on the ice. As far as how the group itself is allowed to drive across the frozen lake, anyone can rent the lake if it meets Georgetown policies, said Lisa Huffaker, who is with our gang four-wheelers. There must be 12 to 13 inches of ice for the races to occur. Sometimes this doesn't happen, according to Huffaker. In 2022, the entire season was canceled because the ice just wasn't thick enough. 
The ice is stronger than it seems. In past years, there were as many as 70 to 100 cars on the ice at a time, she said. Once the ice is thick enough, the group shapes the track. The ice racing isn't the same style as wheel-to-wheel racing like NASCAR's Daytona 500. The group uses a heads-up style of racing, which can be attributed back to the first pond racers of 1965. Instead of contact racing, two cars start at different points, about 20 feet apart, said Huffaker. Both start simultaneously, and whoever reaches the home base first wins. While there won't be car collisions and pit stops for new new wheels, there is still plenty to watch. The track is often shaped in different forms. The dog bone track, which is what you can guess, shaped like a dog bone and has been used since ice racing, according to their website. The track has also been made into different shapes like a sock or a peanut. It's an an adrenaline rush when you sit on one of the Jeeps with the cheater tires on and race, said Huffaker. Also, unlike the Daytona 500, this doesn't require professional skills and the public can join in. The tradition has been brought down through generations, which is how Huffaker joined the group. Her husband was a kid when he began working with the group. Other founders' families are still involved as well. A lot of the founding people here have moved on to do other things, but there are still generations down that have to come back and race and continue to race with us, said Huffaker. While the group passed down the tradition through the generations, anyone with a valid driver's license and a vehicle with four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive can still participate. There are different types of races based on your skill level and what tires you have, like bare rubber or street studs, but you can also join in for a fun day where people can just drive around on the ice. There's still space to register for the weekend of February 24th and the weekend of March 2nd. Registration is open on their website. All right, jumping back to the Clear Creek Current. This one is titled, Colorado Pond Hockey Tournament Draws Thousands to Georgetown Lake. This is also by Chris Cobral. The annual Colorado Pond Hockey Tournament was held on the ice of Georgetown Lake for the first time, but it wasn't supposed to be there. It was originally scheduled to take place on the Dillon Reservoir. However, two weeks before the tournament started, February 16th, organizers say heavy equipment started falling through the thin ice into the reservoir. Dylan's ice was way too thin. They unfortunately lost two skid steers in the water, event coordinator and Georgetown Public Information Officer Jess Jones said. Georgetown residents and town employees worked together feverishly to set up the two dozen individual hockey rinks and found parking and vendors to welcome more than 1,800 players, their families, and spectators, according to Jones. Jones said it took a lot of group effort. It's a community event, Jones said. Everybody wants to help in one way or another. They pulled it off, and teams took to the ice over three days to compete for the championship, which was on Sunday, February 18th. The players came from across the country, and some of them, the annual tournament is a family tradition. Ben Anderson and his 22-year-old son traveled from Georgetown, or to Georgetown, rather, from Austin, Texas, to compete with the Anonymous Hockey Club. It's a parent's dream to be able to participate in any kind of event project with your kiddos and see them enjoy it, Anderson said. That's worth everything right there. The 30-minute games included a 10-minute break at halftime, and every rink was filled with players competing. There were a few fights and minor brawls, according to the tournament volunteer Jen Lofton, but overall, she said it was a friendly and family atmosphere. During breaks between games, even the kids got some time on the ice preparing to one day compete in the tournament themselves. That included five-year-old Jake Murphy from Colorado Springs. His dad, Jez, was competing, and his mom, Alexa, watched while caring for the family's three-year-old summer. Well, we were making him skate on the path, and he was mad because it wasn't a real skating rink. He was also looking for fish under there, Alexa Murphy said, smiling. The last-minute chance gave Georgetown time to shine in the sunny weekend 
of hockey. Jones said it also filled the hotel rooms and home rentals across the region. For competitors and their families, a trip to the mountains was a welcome change. It's beautiful, Anderson said. We don't get a lot of snow in Texas, so this is phenomenal. Georgetown, Anderson added, was a surprise, but it's a town he'll bring his family to again. It's an incredible experience, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city here in Georgetown, and you couldn't ask for better conditions, he said. Organizers said it was a challenge to put it all together in two weeks, but it was a great chance to showcase the town and welcome guests. You're part of it, and you don't have to put yourself out there and try too hard. Everyone is just welcoming as you are, Jones said. All right, that does it for this week's episode of the Clear Creek County News. I hope you have a great week. My name is Megan Heiler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777.